Hi everybody, it's Joey Remini from seekingbalance.com.au. Today I have a case study and I want to introduce you to Pat from the US. Thank you for your time and welcome to the call, Pat. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time as well. Yeah. So, so Pat has joined the Rocksteady community after a diagnosis of Malded-Bachmann syndrome and vestibular migraine, so MDDS or VM. And she's been using the full Rocksteady program as a way to support her through understanding her body, understanding the intermittent and transient nature, the changeability of her body and symptoms. Pat, do you want to talk to us a little bit about finding the Rocksteady program and making that choice to start to learn about your body and neuroplasticity? Well, um, I had I have tried several so-called treatments and um, always always in the back of my mind looking for something that wasn't relying on medication or you know all the all the other kinds of things that maybe help a little bit but not quite enough and just looking for something that could really get to the root of things I guess and um so I actually found out about Rocksteady from the MDDS Foundation that's here in the U.S. And people were mentioning it on Facebook. And, and I, when I started reading about it, I just thought, well, that sounds perfect. You know, that sounds like exactly what I've been looking for. So I immediately bought the book. And I, you know, I read it and I started listening to your podcasts and, um, it was just also inspiring, and um, and of course I had doubts, at, you know, and um, but I just kept feeling underneath all that that um, you know this was something that was going to help me, and so um, and I worked with the book for a while, but it, you know I, it wasn't too long before I realized this isn't going to be enough. Um, so I did the seven day trial, and then of course join the program and that was I guess roughly weeks ago um, and I've I have gotten through pretty much all the six modules um, but we'll be returning and, and starting at at the first module again because I feel like I have just scratched the surface in a lot of ways and it just takes a lot of time as you know and then you know as you say quite often yeah, and I often think it's also spiral learning. So it's like when we do module one the first time, we're gleaning what we can, but it's probably a little bit overwhelmed and there's a lot of details and a lot to go through. And as we go through the full program and come back to module one, because you own it for life once you have the program, you're actually a new person. Your, your neural pathways and patterns have probably begun to change already. So coming back to module one that second time, you can go that little bit deeper and you can stay with things perhaps a little bit longer. And we're getting better at working with discomfort from a place of loving kindness rather than that knee-jerk reaction of perhaps wanting to run away from what we're feeling and avo avoiding and an aversion. Um, we can we can move to exploring with more curiosity and non-judgment. Well, how can I support myself in this moment? Can I ask um, what little bits and bobs from the program have been resonant and supportive for you, perhaps in challenging moments or, you know, how, how have you been logging in and using the program? What's worked for you? 
And well, it changes, it changes um, you know, over time. And then what works one time doesn't necessarily work the next time. But, um, you know, I, I find the body scans are really helpful. Um, and I had been doing body scans prior to doing the program. But the, the, this is a little bit different. You know, I think, you know, just that whole idea of um, really feeling your steadiness and, um, you know, being centered is not something I had been focusing on with my body scans prior to the program. And um, I don't know, listening to your podcasts are really, really helpful. Um, and I've been, I've, I've participated in, I think, three of the live calls. Mm -hmm. And those are great too. Of course, I usually wind up crying <laughs> at some point because people are, you know, it's just so touching. And, um, yeah. and, and the way you work with people is just really wonderful. So I, I really enjoy listening to those. And, um, you know, that um, there's just so much, it's hard to remember everything. Um, but I, you know, I, I do the neck exercise at yeah. least once a day. And that, and that really helps calm things down. Yeah. And I like the um, the hands, you know, um, the, the smoothing hands, I think, the soothing yeah. hands that you yeah. talk about. And, and some of um, what you're talking about just for listeners is where, you know, there's body scans and there's body scans and there's neck exercises and there's neck exercises. And it's not what you do. I think it's more the intentionality of what we have while we're choosing to do something. And so through the Rocksteady program, we're exploring a loving relationship with our head movements and our neck and shoulders we're bringing in non-judgment and curiosity as we find ease in the body it's not your classic physical therapy um repetitions and same with the body scans the body scans we're really starting to enter that emotional spiritual territory of really searching for an emotional center in the body where we can feel a refuge and a sanctuary and we can learn to be self-soothing and self-compassionate within our body so i think it's um these are some of the things you're touching upon is this capacity to find that refuge and sanctuary within a body scan or within self-compassion and you're using them the methods the process to learn those skills which are all teachable because quite often myself included we're not really taught it you know it's it's foreign and we don't know what we're missing out on it can be very elusive and evasive and people loving kindness self-compassion what are you talking about you know um, they're actually teachable skills that we get better at once we start exploring that avenue. And I would say often the emotional, spiritual quadrant quadrants of the healing process are overlooked. We, we, we get very caught up in the mental aspects of, you know, cognitive behavior therapy or talk, talk, talk therapy, and then the physical therapies and diet and posture and um, sort of repetitive muscular movements or reflex movements. So the emotional spiritual aspects are really fundamental to explore. Did you have any aha moments as you were beginning to explore your inner sanctuary and refuge and compassion, Pat? Oh, I've had so many. I, get, I, have, I can't keep track of them. Um, but um, yeah, I've, I've had a lot. And I think every time that happens, you know, it just gives me more confidence, you know, that, um, you know, I have every confidence that my brain is going to heal. Um, but I, I know that I'm still getting in the way of that. And I think that is one of the things that is most helpful for me from the program is that, 
constant reminder to switch my focus from the symptoms to you know that feeling of steadiness yeah. and calm. <clears throat> and I just I just kind of had an aha moment. Um, excuse me. <clears throat> this morning, because um, I um, realized that you know, you, you, you start to do it so much, you can kind of fall into this thing of just going through the motions, right? And I realized this morning, it was like, oh, I'm not really doing this. You know, I'm, I'm just, I'm like, okay, I'm going to think about, you know, study, but I, I really wasn't putting that sense of feeling it into it, you know, it's just all in my, my brain. And so it's like, Okay, yeah. <laughs> and 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 just coming back to that, you know, it's it's kind of a, it feels like a relief, you know, because it's um, it, it just it, feels so much better. Um, and it's a skill yeah. set because we do often live up here, and we're trying to think our way out of it. We think it's a problem we can fix up here, when actually it's a real surrender into that felt sense, that embodied mm-hmm. the soma. We need to return back to the soma of our body, somatic feeling and somatic healing. Um which can be very challenging, especially for people who are very academic and very head heavy and have a strong need and desire for certainty and answers. I believe my experience is the answers do come and the insight does come, but it can take years. So we can be for three years sitting in this sort of, I'm not really sure there's something I don't understand here. And then the insight lands and it all sort of fits into place from that academic level. But I think part of healing is holding the uncertainty, holding the mystery, holding the unknown. And that's what the program does. It babysits us and nurtures us while everything doesn't make sense. And while we feel a little bit alone and lost and confused, and we've got this community of other people who are also sitting with the mystery and searching and having those little moments of relief and insight and going, something is changing here and I don't understand it, but it feels right. It feels good. And the old me and the old habits, which are often a little bit more, um, I would say, caught up in fear cycles. And, and, you know, that can also be fear from the world around us economically, politically, socially. So just even, yes. beyond, even beyond symptoms. And so we can be caught up in anxiety, worry, fear, inner critic. And little by little, the Rocksteady program nurtures and guides us to take one more step in the direction of self-nurture, self-care self-kindness being for myself being with myself really holding and supporting myself when i most need it rather than going i need a fix i need help i'm going to go out there and look for it because something or someone else is going to take care of me we really shift from that paradigm of i'm not enough and i'm not good enough to actually i am enough i've got this i just need to try and find what most matches my need in this moment because if i'm not sure what it is I've got skills and tools to access to figure that out for myself. So it's a real curiosity approach and we're responsive to reality rather than resistant of reality, which I would say is where most people start. They're very resistant of what's going on. They don't like it. They don't want it. And resistance is front and center. And that, you know, it's incompatible with neuroplasticity. Do you have any moments of resistance that you feel comfortable sharing and how that may have softened for you? Um, yeah, you know, that, that's been a, a real process as well. Um, and, and I guess it, this kind of qualifies as another aha moment, but, um, you know, I, we've, I've been 
um, having some additional challenges to all this over the past um, few months because where I'm at, you know, we get we get a lot of monsoons, and that's really triggers a lot of the VM stuff, the vestibular migraine. Yes, I think to a certain extent, and you know, and I was, uh, you know, it, it's been a real challenge in to. Um, and I think if I hadn't had this program, um, I, don't, I don't know where I'd be right now because, you know, it, it was just, it's been really hard. But I, at one point I realized that one of my, the biggest problem I think I was having is that I was just resisting it all so much. You know, I was resisting the weather, I was resisting the symptoms and I just let go of that. Yeah. Um, and things started to get better. Um, so I, I really understand the importance of, of just not resisting this stuff. And, it, and it's a constant, I think, um, until it really becomes ingrained, it's something you have to keep reminding yourself of, you know, just to let things be. And um, It's a daily you know. practice and a way of life. And so just, just to, to kind of paraphrase what you were saying to check that I heard you correctly, it was the monsoon weather can... Um, increase symptomatology and increase a level of emotional discomfort because of course it's outside anxiety of it's outside of us and we can't control it and here it is it's happening to us and we can feel very victim to to the weather sort of happening upon us and in that you realized well actually I cannot need to control the weather I can allow the monsoon weather and the bigness of it all to wash over me without resistance I can surrender and thereby change my inner neurology and sensations and symptoms by using those rock steady skills of finding my steadiness finding my center nurturing any arising anxiety and flowing with reality as it is rather than being in resistance to reality is that yeah, that's essentially correct right um perfect analogy of the weather really isn't it because our symptoms can feel like <laughs> the weather you know it's like it, it can wash over us in a really unpredictable way um, yes and while we can't actively control everything, there's a lot we can influence. And once we learn how to be the masters and the friends of our nervous system, and you know, if coming back to the window of tolerance conversation, if we can really understand our red zone, green zone, and blue zone, if we can keep ourselves connected through compassion and kindness in our support network, the nervous system's much more able to optimally function and therefore doesn't need to fire off as many red flags and symptoms because it's it, it's nurtured within a, a safe zone so symptoms can come and go very briefly and quickly and resolve uh, without too much of a hiccup so con being having the skills and tools to nurture our nervous system does directly impact how we feel in our sensations and symptoms and so while we can't control symptoms we sort of can control pieces of it really big pieces of it do you have any um, any examples of that where you're like, wow, I think I just I just really stopped the I, I got on the volume switch and I turned it down. Have you had any moments of realizing you're starting to really impact the sensations and how they flow through your body? Um, yeah, uh, you know, I. Um, I have it comes and goes. Um, but I think I think the best thing that's happened along those lines is um, I've gotten in touch with the fear mm -hmm. that gets triggered or, you know, is maybe kind of 
you know, just lurking there most of the time about, you know, that, you know, what's going to happen with all this. And, um, and I, and it's taken time, you know, I, but I've gradually um, gotten to where that fear is not really an issue, yeah. like 9% of the time. And so I think that, so that really helps with all the anxiety and it helps keep me calmer, which I think, um, you know, up and up and um, even like through all this monsoon stuff, I think the symptoms were um, probably not as strong as they would have been otherwise. Um, so I think that fear is um, really an important piece. At least it was for me. Um, well, the, the the fear activates the nervous system, so it's all connected. Correct. Yeah because the yeah, nervous system's yeah. looking for safety or danger. So when we invite that fear conversation and buy into it, the nervous system responds with the fight, flight, freeze system to help keep us safe. So as we meet and greet and befriend our fears and soothe them so we can really come from that more loving kindness, emotional space or even neutral space that's not emotionally loaded, um, it really changes the brain chemistry and the nervous system firing and patterning. Um, yeah, it's so interesting, the fear conversation. It's a bit of a million-dollar question, but do you remember what things helped you meet and greet the fear and to shift from fear cycles and fear patterns into a more neutral or loving-kindness space? Can you perhaps share a little bit about that transition, if you remember it? Um, yeah, I think... Um... I think at the heart of it um, is, I mean, I didn't just start being fearful when I, you know, when I got all these disorders, you know, I, I fear had been something that had been with me since I can remember. Me too. And, <laughs> and, you know, I've been working with a therapist and we started talking about, um, you know, childhood trauma and that, and all the stuff along those lines. And, you know, I've been getting in touch with that inner child and just feeling, mm -hmm. you know, it was like, I would do that and feel the fear. And it was so strong, I would just have to back away from it. Yeah. And, you know, and that, and then that would, that happened a few times. And then, um, um, you know, it just gradually changed. It, it wasn't, it, it just happened. You know, I wasn't trying to force anything or, you know, feeling like I just had to do this, just something that just kind of seemed to work itself out. Because I think it, maybe it happened and I hadn't even realized it at first, you know, and then oh, yeah. one day I kind of noticed it's like. For mo most of us, fear is sort of this invisible, imperceivable kind of demon and beast in the back of our minds that's running the show and we're not aware it's there. It's just, it's just normal to have all of these thoughts in the background. And often they are connected to... Um, childhood beliefs and patterns that were created before we had adult intuition and adult understanding so they're often like a little bit askew um, and I'm curious often what happens is through this because I relate to what you're saying you know coming back and meeting little Joey and going oh wow is that how it was for you Joey I, those memories were suppressed I didn't realize you felt that way and so as I go back and meet my little Joey understanding lands and validation of oh okay it makes sense that you feel that way and now I understand you little Joey and now I know why you're screaming at me 
And so in that understanding and in that compassion and in that humanity, something shifts and changes. And I think as I go from being annoyed with myself or ashamed with myself for X, Y, and Z to going, oh, well, now I understand that. And there is no shame. And I can really wrap little Joey up in kindness and support and compassion because it makes sense to me now. And this is what I mean by some of those insights might take three years to get to. But with the inner work and the self-study and the non-judgment and the curiosity, our symptoms can actually take us on a little pathway, a little thread of insight to very, very deep self-knowing and self-understanding that can be quite life-changing. And I think comes back to this conversation of having a background flavor of fear in our world and in our life and shifting that towards a background flavor of love, kindness, compassion, and a general understanding for humanity. So it's not just about me anymore. It's about the whole community. And I think that could be what you were referring to in feeling like you were moved to tears in our live group calls is there is so much shared humanity. And when people come on and share their troubleshooting, their questions, their challenges, their insights or their stuckness, often there is this inner child work that comes up and their body is talking to them and it's some very unresolved pain that they're then learning to meet and hold in their heart and develop a sense of loving support, nurturance or reassurance for themselves and I think it's very relatable. Would you agree with that? Yes, yeah. I think I think everybody has that to a certain extent, like you say, you know. <laughs> and it makes sense from a neuroplasticity point of view, if we get a little bit geeky and science-y, that as the brain's developing, you know, it's a blank slate, I guess, at conception. And as we're developing in utero and when we're born and our initial relationships to our primary carers and then our immediate community of, of siblings, family members, the brain is learning how to relate to self and relate to the world. So all of those little interactions, whether it's even this that we're left crying and nobody comes to tend to us, a little baby sort of knows that it feels right to be cocooned and cuddled by a primary carer. They want skin on skin, proprioceptive touch. They want to be held. They want to feel support. And when they're left alone in a crib or a car seat or a pram or a bassinet, the brain actually intuitively knows you know, my needs may not be getting met here. They might, they, they may need emotional support. They may be hungry. They may be cold. And so if they're left crying, which can so often happen to all of us, the brain starts to develop these beliefs and these feelings of something's not right. Maybe I'm not right. Maybe I'm the common denominator here and I'm fundamentally abnormal. And that's why I'm crying because no one in the outside world is coming to tell me any different and to cradle me and cuddle me and tell me I'm beautiful and lovable. So it's sort of the repeated nature of those little interactions of feeling something's not quite right and not having an empathic, mature, available other authority in those very, very young moments and young years to explain to us, well, actually, mum and dad were just busy doing the dishes or, you know, mum and dad were just asleep and they didn't realize you were crying or, you know, it can be explained from an adult point of view, but that's not often happening in the first 20 years of our lives. So we have millions of examples of think, feeling not quite right. Neural networks developing these beliefs of, okay, well, I think I'm not right. I think something's happening out there. They're fighting and I don't get it. So maybe it's my fault. Little children create all of these misunderstandings, which we then unpack often in therapy as, as adults. So from a neuroplasticity point of view, it's those neural pathways 
that we develop, particularly in the first seven years, if not first 13 years, that teach us how to relate to the world so they can impact our adult romantic relationships and our adult relationships with employers and our adult relationships with nature and the world. Um, Yeah, so it's very fascinating and I think science is really catching up to learn how important it is that we do this work as adults and that we don't um, pass trauma onto our children, trauma that we haven't yet processed. And I think this is going to become a very big conversation for my generation and my children's generation as science is catching up with the importance of understanding our networks and for want of a better word, just cleaning and clearing them from misunderstandings, myths and unhelpful beliefs, which it sounds like you've, you're well and truly in the thick of that journey, Pat. Yeah, it's, um, it's exciting. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just really grateful that I've um, gotten to this point because it yeah. is making such a difference. You know? Yeah. And, and it's, and I think I just want to touch upon another thing, which you can speak to if it feels relevant, but, you know, sometimes I find myself going, Oh gee, I'm 38 and I'm just starting to connect. <laughs> um, but I've met people doing this in their seventies, eighties and nineties. And honestly, there's not a day wasted and it's never too late because I'm of the belief that we come to these insights and we touch upon this loving kindness and curiosity and non-judgment when we're ready. And that, is dependent on what country we're born in, you know, what what available cultural supports we have, um, cultural expectations, and economic and political safety. So we're all coming from different places and arriving at these insights in different ways. And I think it's really important that we don't shame ourselves for wherever we are on that journey. Um, because for many of us, we don't have safety at home. We don't have safety in the neighborhood. And it really, we don't have the space to, the luxury to, to stop and, and do some of this work so easily. We've got to really manage the basics of day-to-day and getting out of bed and really cultivating a sense of external safety. Um, but on that note, I would love to encourage listeners to be empowered, to feel that it really is possible to generate internal safety which can help us manage some of the external dangers and threats that are in our our neighborhood or daily life. If we can cultivate that safety within ourselves, which again is a teachable skill, we can carry that little bit of steadiness and safety with us no matter where we go. And we can navigate real danger without living in false danger and false alarms, which I think is what you were referring to of getting on top of the fear to help manage symptoms. It's often false alarms, it's false danger. It's not really there. Having the internal safety helps to directly, it's like the antidote for the false alarm system. Do you want to speak to that a little bit, Pat? Um, yeah, well, I just, I wanted to share this because it just, it was just so amazing. But, I, you know, I past two months, I had, keep having these dreams with, this, with the same that, I'm somewhere out in the world and there's a lot of people around and it's usually kind of some sort of outdoor setting mm-hmm. and I'm there and I'm home, but I don't have my car and I don't, I keep thinking um, that I don't know how to get home. Right. And then I had this dream, you know, it's always a little bit different, but I had this dream Sunday night. And just before I woke up, I said, 
to my in my dream, I was saying to myself, well, you can just call a taxi, right? And and I woke up and it was like, because up until that point, you know, I was always telling myself I'm safe. And, but if I was being honest, I didn't feel safe. Yeah. You know, I, I knew in my head I was safe, but I didn't know it in my heart. But I woke up and I just realized that I actually feel safe now. So, yeah. um, I don't know that that's what you were looking for, but that's perfect. <laughs> I just I thought it was wonderful. I love those real life examples. A, a girlfriend of mine had a very similar story, which was um, she was house sitting or just away from home, so in a foreign environment, and it was cold, and she didn't understand how to light the wood fire, and she was starting to spiral into that converse in a conversation of powerlessness and not feeling safe, and then a voice in her head said, "Come on." you can just go down the shops and buy a heater and you can warm the house and you're an adult and you've got this. And that, that feeling of, oh, I am on top of it and I am safe. But we can fall into those patterns of feeling like a, a baby not being attended to. We can feel that powerlessness of a crying baby and no one can hear the cries or no one's coming. I think to a certain extent that neurology, that makeup's probably in most of us. You know, I'm sure there's people out there who were literally living on their mothers all the time and, and attended to, but this idea of like a neural trauma pattern, which means that like an unprocessed emotion or a, a misunderstanding means that, you know, we had some kind of challenging emotion that brought up fear or anxiety or worry. And at some point in our life, an adult wasn't there to lovingly explain to us what was going on. So we internalize an unhelpful belief about that emotional system. So most of us have these little micro traumas and that's exactly what you're referring to. It can leave us feeling unsafe in a very embodied way up here we know we're safe we know that there's no flood no electrical storm there's from a logical place we know we're safe but in our body we're sort of just feeling a little bit not right like like we're a phony or someone's going to come in um you know some, something's just not quite there there's a lack of safety so working to build that safety and go hey i can call a taxi hey i can go buy a heater you know, I've got choice. I've got agency. That honestly is probably the central piece of the Rocksteady program. It's about saying here are lots of skills and tools that may or may not work for you, but you are in the position of power to choose, to try, to say, I don't feel quite right. And this is how I'm going to support myself. I've got choice. I've got power. And we're just resetting all of that neurology little by little, day by day, so that we can outgrow the fear and that really deeply embodied sense of um, unworthiness or lack of safety and we can reset re we can reset it back to a place of steadiness calm love joy lovability worthiness and security and I think it's a it's a process of building blocks very very common to to humanity in this day and age is what I'm noticing I wanted to finish this chat Pat by asking if you could give Pat a little piece of encouragement or advice maybe a year ago from now, what would you say? Um, I, I would say um, the best thing I could do is just trust in myself yeah. and um, just stay open to um, what's happening and, and just have faith that it's going to get better. Um, yeah, trust and faith. Mm -hmm. Another <laughs> skill and practice that we build. That's beautiful. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Pat.
I really well, thank you. I'm really mm -hmm. grateful that you're part of the Rocksteady community. I hope you join more of our live monthly calls. Oh, I, I plan. I have them on the calendar, so Great. I will be there for sure. Beautiful. I'll keep an eye out for your name. I'm Joey Remini from seekingbalance.com.au. If you would like to join us and join our online Rocksteady program and the full community um, for what I, what I would consider as comprehensive support for your physical, mental, emotional and spiritual healing. It really is a, a, a broad educational toolkit. Join our community. You're very welcome. You'll find all the details on my website. So that's seekingbalance.com.au. Thank you so much, Pat. Been a pleasure to meet you. Pleasure to meet you as well. And so it's a bye for now. Okay. Bye.